<laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name is Rob, and it is good to see you this morning. I am a pastor here. Uh, every now and then I'm still struck, uh, in a sense, with the seeming absurdity of what it is we do here from an outsider's perspective or maybe a skeptic's perspective, and that might be you this morning. Like, what, what are we up to here? Looking at a letter written some 2,000 years ago, we're talking about justification and what it means to be made right, what it means to be declared righteous. You might be tempted to say, hey, Rob, it's 2023. We've, we've progressed beyond this. We've moved beyond that. We really don't worry about that kind of stuff. And then I listen to the radio I, uh, you know, kind of pull up my Spotify app and I, I listen to some of the songs that are sung, right? And I, this, you know, over the past few weeks, I've come across these lyrics, right? Listen to these lyrics. They go like this. So I thought if I piled something good on, on all my bad, I could cancel out the darkness I inherited from dad. So I thought if I piled something good on all my bad that I could cancel out the darkness that I inherited from dad. Do you hear it there? Those questions of what do I do with my darkness? Um, is it an equation of piling on good and bad? The reality that somehow maybe I've inherited darkness. Noah Kahn uh, sings of these questions in his song, Stick Season. Olivia Rodrigo covered it earlier this week. Uh, it's not an endorsement for the song. Uh, you may never have heard of those names, but know this. Hundreds of millions of people have streamed and listened to that song you see, these were questions that they are wrestling with in the first century in Galatians. Um, who am I? Can I change? If so, how? They're wrestling with those questions in the, the first century, and we're still singing of those questions and wrestling with them in the 21st century. And our passage this morning answers those questions. I believe our passage this morning gives us a better song. So we're going to pray and then we'll look at this passage. Pray with me. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we pray now that you would open our eyes to see the wonders of your word. Give us grace that we might follow your ways. And more than anything else this morning, help us to see Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, if you're just visiting with us, we're in the book of Galatians. We've got two chapters down. We've got four chapters to go. We're at the beginning of chapter three, and we've been saying this, that Paul is saying that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And for some of us, sometimes there, that, that produces a tension in us that's really hard because what Paul's saying and what we're saying um, is that it's not Jesus plus going to church. It's not Jesus plus studying the Bible. It's not Jesus plus perfect parenting. It's not Jesus plus getting our sexuality right. And we hear that, and some of us are saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying those things don't matter? Are, is Paul saying those things? Are y'all saying those things don't matter? Well, yes, 
and no. Paul's saying in terms of salvation, in terms of what makes us right with God, that none of those things matter. That what makes us right with God is Christ's finished work on the cross and that alone. That's what makes us right with God. And um, like the thief on the cross, no matter where you are or what you've done, if you cast your hope upon him, you can hear, today you will be with me in paradise. And... When you've experienced the grace of God, that does indeed change you. When you've experienced his salvation, that does indeed make you a different person. That should compel you together with God's people. That should compel you to study God's word. Gospel fluency, understanding the gospel, does mean that the gospel influences how I parent, that I aligned the way that I think and the way that I act in parenting and in my sexuality with God's good design, holiness and purity that often is not celebrated by the world out there. But friends, order matters. Getting that order right is everything. Um, Jay Gresham Machen uh, was a seminary professor at Princeton Seminary, went and started Westminster Theological Seminary. He said this, He said, this book of Galatians is all about getting this order right, especially the order of faith and salvation and obedience. All right? The Judaizers in Galatians, they're wanting to say that faith plus obedience leads to salvation. And Paul is saying, no. Faith leads to salvation that leads to obedience. Order is everything, right? A changed life does not lead to salvation. Salvation leads to a changed life. Order is everything, and here's why. Changing in order to be loved versus changing because you are loved, those are radically different approaches with radically different outcomes. All right, and I would imagine every one of us in here wants to experience some sort of change this morning. We long to be changed into a better friend. We long for change in our marriage that the mess might find healing. We long for a change that helps us navigate the daily dysfunction of a toxic workplace or school. We long for change. We long for spiritual growth to be the daughter or son of God that we want to be. And the good news this morning is that these verses point us to where we can find change. Paul speaks to three things that bring about change in these verses. Let's go through them one by one. Paul makes it clear. Verse one, we are changed by the Spirit. All right, changed by the Spirit. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. Chapter three, Paul's coming out hot, guys. All right, oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Foolish Galatians, dull, stupid, idiotic. Like Paul's saying, Galatians, um, spiritually speaking, you're kind of acting like Kevin from the office. Like what in the world is going on? You're under some kind of spell. We might say today, like, like, what are you smoking? What are you drinking? Your mind doesn't seem to be working right. You're not thinking about these things correctly. And then in these next six verses, the first six verses, he interrogates the Galatians. Six verses, six questions, and all of them touch on the person of the Holy Spirit. 
He wants them to understand that if you are going to change, true and lasting change, it's going to involve the person of the Holy Spirit. There is no true and lasting change apart from the person of the Holy Spirit. There is no being a Christian apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says there. <laughs> he says, verse 2, let me, let me just ask this, all right? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the assumed answer is hearing with faith because these are Gentiles, Galatians. Their life before Paul entered into it really wasn't about the law or trying to follow the law. But when they heard with faith about Jesus Christ crucified, that changed everything. So he asked that question first, and then he says, okay, follow-up question. Here's my follow-up question. If that's the way you started, by faith in the Spirit, why are you now trying to do it all yourself? Like, why are you trying to be perfected by the flesh? If you started in the Spirit and in faith, why are you trying to be perfected by the flesh? Um, let me ask you this. How many of you think this way? or used to think this way, or know someone who thinks this way. I became a Christian by grace through faith. But if I want to grow, it's all on me. It's all on my works. It's all on my effort. If I want to grow spiritually, it's about checking the boxes and following the rules. This notion that, yeah, I entered in the kingdom uh, by grace, but staying in it and growing in it means pulling up my bootstraps. So often we have a bootstrap theology, friends, and Paul's preaching against that. He's saying, ultimately, you can't do it. You can't change. You don't have what it takes. A couple things to understand about the spirit and change. It's the spirit that helped you see Christ, and it's the spirit that will help you become like Christ. That's how it works. Um. Change doesn't just come about because of a mental exercise. Like, hey, if I just learn and know and remember all the right information, then true and lasting change will come. It's not how it works. Uh, if my kids just learn and know and remember all the right information, then they'll be changed. I have a friend, all right? He knows the truths of Christianity, he can articulate them very clearly. He teaches in, in university lecture halls about it, and yet he does not believe it. And he is not changed by it. You need the Spirit to be at work in your life. Change just isn't coming about from mental exercise. Mental effort. It's not just coming about from just a, a personal exercise as if you have enough in and of yourself to change, regardless of how gifted you are, how, how determined you, you are. You cannot will about the change you long for. Christianity is the antithesis of, of uh, this kind of self-help, self-discovery. Looking inside yourself is not going to bring about true and lasting change. I heard someone teach on this passage uh, a while ago, and, and they, they pointed to uh, a, a section of Lord of the Rings, all right? I'm going to use an illustration from Lord of the Rings. I feel like I should tell you, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, all right? I know, I just, I know many of you want to take away my Christian card right now, okay? But it's not Jesus plus Lord of the Rings, all right? Remember that. 
Uh, I mean, I enjoy it, but I'm just, it's, you know, I'm not a fanboy. All right, Lord of the Rings, story by a little guy named Frodo and his older cousin Bilbo, all right? They go on, there's the massive adventure. Before Frodo goes on his adventure, Bilbo gives him a coat of mail, all right? Now, when you think of mail, don't think of like the postal service and you got mail. Think of metal linked together to form kind of a coat, basically to protect you from arrows and swords like an early bulletproof vest. Bilbo gives Frodo this coat of mail before his journey. He puts it on and then he puts his old coats and his old clothes on over it. Uh, and he goes about his journey. On his journey, he hears some gentlemen talking. And the gentlemen say, you know, Bilbo was a man of incredible wealth, but the most valuable thing he had was this coat of mithril, this coat of mail made out of mithril. And in Tolkien's world that he created, mithril is the most precious metal, a thousand times more valuable than silver or gold because uh, it is both a hundred times stronger and a hundred times lighter. That's why mithril is precious. The conversation goes on. Frodo's overhearing it. And one of the guys said, an entire coat of mithril? Does he know that that's of more value, value than all of the property in his entire country? So now, now Frodo's hearing this. And it says that he was staggered to learn that underneath his coat, he was wearing a coat that was more valuable than anything and everything in his entire country. And the, the one that was teaching on this uh, passage said, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, underneath the old rags of this flesh, we have something more valuable, more powerful than can be found in all the world. We've been promised the Holy Spirit. I don't feel compelled to have to unfold this, the, the third person of the Trinity uh, in a significant way this morning because guess what? Paul's going to talk about him a lot in this letter. We're going to come to the Spirit again and again and again, the Spirit of sonship and walking in the Spirit, um, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes about him a lot, but if you want to change, you need to understand it's going to involve the Spirit. And let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for the Spirit to work in your life? When's the last time you asked the Spirit to work in the life of a loved one? In parenting, I'm, I'm tempted to think sometimes that it's, it's lecture and the right rules and disciplines, and sometimes I forget actually, no, the Spirit could do more in an instant than a thousand rules and a thousand lectures. Change will come through the Spirit. Change will also come through faith. We want to experience true and lasting uh, change. It'll come by the Spirit. It'll come by faith. Verses 6 uh, through 9, Paul starts talking about Abraham. All right? Because, again, the Judaizers were saying, uh, hey, Galatians, if you're going to go to become part of the faith, part of the family, you need to adopt our religious traditions, our religious customs. They're saying, hey, you need to become sons of Abraham. And Paul says, okay, yeah, fair enough, sons of Abraham. 
Let's talk about what that means and what that would look like. Like, you want to go all the way back to Abraham? Let's go to Abraham. Like, let's go back before the law, before, the Mo- before Moses, and let's talk about what it really means to be a son of Abraham. And then we see there in verses 6 and 7, Paul says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What made Abraham who he was? Right and just before God was his belief in the promises of God. Verse 7, know then it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So it's not about performance. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about physical appearance or circumcision. It's about faith. If you want to be a son of Abraham, Paul says, that means you are like him in that you believe in the good promises of God. I love verses 8 and 9 because Paul basically said, hey, God had this plan all along that through Abraham, he was going to bless the nations. Like that was the plan. And the blessing comes in believing. Abraham believed him. And by the way, if the Judaizers were going to use Abraham as their example of incorporating works, into the equation? It's probably not the best case study, right? Like, do you know Abraham's story? Like, he, he was going to allow his wife to sleep with another man out of self-protection to save his skin, right? He actually slept with someone who was not his wife to try to manufacture the blessing of God. Probably not a great case study in uh, works righteousness. No. Abraham is justified by his faith. He's justified by his imperfect faith in a perfect God. So if we're going to be changed, it's because of faith. It's we trust in the promises of God. So let me ask you this question. In your struggles, in your circumstances, what promises are you failing to believe? You know, that's why we study the word, guys. We don't study the word so we can check the I study the Bible today box. We study the word because our problems and our lack of change often come because we don't know the promises or we forget them. That's why we study the word. What are you failing to believe about who God is? It's the belief and trust and remembering that will be a part of God working change in our lives by the spirit and by faith. Um, The third thing that brings about true and lasting change, the gospel. All right, spirit, faith, the gospel. Verses 10 through 14, Paul talks about this great exchange of the gospel. Again, Paul's like, you guys want to talk about Old Testament? Let's talk about Old Testament. Let's talk about Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He quotes it. He says, he's going to talk about this exchange that happens on a tree. What in the world is going on here? Uh, You want to talk about the law? We'll talk about the law, Paul says. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You want to talk about it? That's what Deuteronomy says. And we don't have to talk about all the law this morning, friends. We could just talk about the Ten Commandments and we could ask ourselves, have I kept all of those? And then we can remember, Jesus says, even if you broke them in your mind or in your heart, you have broken them. So Paul says it's foolish to think that somehow you could be justified by the law. In fact, all of us are cursed. We are under a curse. And then he starts talking about this passage from uh, Leviticus. Uh, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And he's talking about this great exchange that on 
on a Roman tree, a Roman cross, Jesus hung there as one who is cursed in order to take our curse and, and give us the blessing of his righteousness. Paul talks about the blessing of Abraham, the promised Holy Spirit. And friends, I want you to get both of these things. If you're going to have gospel fluency, you got to get this. I'm going to introduce a technical theological term. All right, buckle up. Double imputation. All right, double imputation. Imputed, it means to give. Our sin, our curse is imputed to Christ. He takes it, all right? And his righteousness is imputed to us and all that goes along with it. And I need you to know this, friends. You don't get both of these things. You don't get the gospel. And plenty of people live in light of just one of them, just the forgiveness. And you don't realize what you have in his righteousness and all that goes along with it. I promise you this. Um, Pastor Jack Miller and his curriculum, uh, Sonship, uses the language of a bank account to help you feel this, all right? Bank accounts. Those of you under 30, all right? It's going to be hard for you to imagine a time where you couldn't just pull out your phone and look on your app and check your account balance, all right? Like, there was a time, all right? When I was in college, when I was in college, if I wanted to know how much money I had in my bank, I had to go to the ATM. It's the only way I could find out, all right? Do an account balance. I've heard talk of balancing a checkbook or something like that. I don't know, all right? But if I wanted to know what was in my account, and here's the thing. I had this debit card, and sometimes it would let me spend money that I didn't really have, all right? So I'd be out there flossing and flying, and I would be like, I don't know how much money I have. I'm just going to try and see if it works, all right? And it would work, but I wouldn't have enough money. And guess what the bank would do? They would charge me a non-sufficient funds fee, all right? The irony of charging me more money because I don't have money, that's what goes on there. Rob, what's this got to do with double imputation? Here's what it has to do. Imagine if in college I racked up something like $4,000 worth of non-sufficient fund fees, all right? I might have gotten close, but I didn't get all the way there. All right, $4,000. And imagine, imagine if the bank just came to me and said, hey, Rob, you know what? Out of a great act of mercy, we're going to cancel all that debt. We're going to forgive it. That would be wonderful. College Rob would love that, right? Cancel the $4,000, a, a radical act of mercy that gets my account balance back to what? Zero. If you cancel out all the darkness you've inherited from dad, you're only back to zero. If your sins are forgiven, you're on. so many of us live like, okay, well, my sins are forgiven and that gives me back to zero. What do I do? The message of the gospel is that into your account has been deposited a wealth of infinite and eternal value that can never be diminished All of his righteousness and all that goes along with it are ours because of the gospel. And you say, Rob, okay, well, what's that got to do with change? I'm glad you asked. Let's consider our darkness. All right, let's look under the, the surface of our brokenness. For some of us, our lust leads us to websites or lovers that aren't our spouse. Why? Because we're sinful, yes. 
But what are we looking for? Are we looking for acceptance, approval, intimacy, things that are already ours in Christ? Look under the hood of your greed, my greed. What am I, is it sinful? Yes. Do it, does it need to be forgiven? But what am I looking for? Security? Status? Peace? What about my anger? What, what's underneath my anger? A desire to control? A desire to be right? A, a, a way of protection? All of these things are found in Christ. Our sin and our brokenness come from the reality that we go to all the wrong places in all the wrong ways looking for what we have in the richness and treasure of Jesus Christ. And when we see that, that will bring about change. Because friends, guilt only gets us so far. Guilt only motivates us so far, but being enthralled and enraptured with the treasures that we have in Christ, that will bring about change. Remembering that Christ doesn't just say stop and he doesn't just say, um, I forgive you, though he does say those things, he also says come. He says, come, come into my kingdom, come into my family, come into my joy and my freedom, come and find rest and peace. When we remember that, and when we realize that's ours because of the gospel, that brings true and lasting change. Christians, how do we change? By the work of the Spirit, by faith, by seeing the beauty of Christ in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray your spirit would be at work now in, in my heart and in the hearts of my friends, convicting, comforting, bringing your light. Father, let us live in our workplaces and in our schools as believers, as those who no longer live but realize that you, your son, lives in us through your spirit. Father, bring about the change that we long for. Help us see our inefficiency to do that, and that in Christ all things are possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.